All Indians Matter. Hello and welcome to All Indians Matter. I'm Ashraf Engineer and this is part two of a very special conversation with Barun Mitra, a highly regarded policy expert who has been working in the agriculture space. In part one, we spoke about the controversial new farm laws that have sparked protests across the country. In part two, we will talk about the historic and systemic problems in India's agriculture sector. Welcome once again, Barun. Hello, Ashraf. Nice to be with you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Barun, let's take a walk through history. How has the sector been mishandled down the decades? You know, I know in the past you've written about input control to pricing and technology control. But what's been essentially the two or three major problems down the decades with the agriculture sector in India? You know, one is that agriculture is not looked upon as an economic activity. Agriculture is generally seen more in terms of its culture rather than its, than, than its economy. And uh, and therefore we eulogize agriculture at, in in you know in one way the Jai Jawan, Jai Kisan, and Annadata and all that. But uh, right, but right. we rarely try to understand the economic aspect which makes agriculture what it ought to be. And particularly for a tropical country like India, we should be an agricultural powerhouse. You know we have a growing season unmatched almost in the world. We have a large agricultural land area. We should be a superpower in agriculture. Instead, we have we have uh, been stagnating much of the time, and agriculture has become almost synonymous with poverty. And this problem, you know, this problem in the early days of independence, because of our shortages and the scarcities and the history of famine during colonial rule, uh, a lot of restrictions, etc., was put in. But it was also a kind of a political ideology of the time and which has persisted that that uh, agriculture is a, is a non-important sector except for its food component that it's economically not so significant it will always diminish and therefore we must move our our focus from agriculture to building the temples of modern india as nehru would say then and in the last 30 years liberalization and opening up of india all of which left agriculture aside completely. You know, I mean, this to me is the, is the historic and the cultural political context that how we look at agriculture as culture rather than as its economic. And uh, this has been a tragedy. And particularly last 30 years, the contrast couldn't have been greater. Yeah, but in fact, you know, we keep comparing ourselves to China and we, you know, one of the uh, constant political messages is how we are going to beat China someday and so on and so forth. So it's not very well known that uh, China's agriculture and food sector alone is greater than India's overall GDP. It uh, stands at $4 trillion compared to India's GDP of $2.9 trillion. Our agriculture sector is at roughly $600 billion. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's, it's not, and it's not just for China. The United States, which is no one considers U.S. to be an agricultural country, but the United States is an agriculture powerhouse. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, so agri- whereas our mindset, our approach, our political approach, our cultural approach to agriculture has always been that agriculture is one of the also rants that we need it, but it is not really at the focus of our uh, of our discourse and our thinking. Because otherwise, you know, otherwise, just, just think that... that uh, a country that has almost a three, two to three cropping season across the landmark in most parts of the country. That is a huge producer, number two, number three, number one, uh, in most crops that we produce. Yet, 
our agriculture is so synonymous or our farming farmers are so synonymous with with poverty there's no reason yeah in fact this has been a constant debate i mean for example every time uh, farm issues come up we start talking about things like debt uh, and you know the government responds by forgiving farmer debt from time to time but the issues continue what what exactly is wrong with the approach here you know i mean uh, again this uh, the yeah this is again a more a question of psychology and emotion and politics rather than its economics because uh, the problem of debt is precisely because indian agriculture doesn't enjoy the kind of uh, freedoms that many other sectors in india has over the last uh, 30 years particularly post liberalization every aspect of indian agriculture every from input to output uh, is restricted regulated or prohibited you know i mean nothing that a farmer can do is outside the scope of some restrictive regulation or law the seeds are regulated the technologies that they can use are regulated the land that they can use for some things and not for other that is regulated you know so the the scope of regulation governing agriculture is unbelievable and if you were a farmer you would think that india has not liberalized at all indian agriculture is the most regulated restricted and prohibited sector in the indian economy but we don't it is a very important point baron because uh, you know especially when it comes to media the discourse tends to be oversimplified we say oh it's debt and therefore farmers are committing suicide but what you're saying is that there's a larger issue there's a systemic sector wide issue not it's not just debt yeah the debt is only a manifestation of the problem you know so we try, you know like it's a symptom of the disease so we find it convenient to deal with that symptom and therefore the government will say that okay we wave off debt to here and there but again you know just like with with uh, with the farmers not using the apmc market or the farmers in india so conversant with contract farming even informal contract farming to such a large extent so it is here a large chunk of the debt that the farmers have are not with banks and such formal institutions which the government can write off that's right a large chunk of the debt is with uh, families friends and money lenders that's what right. are you going to write that off for you know that means we are never we if we are looking talking of agriculture we seem to simply miss the the forest for the trees so you know so we look at the symptoms and try to put a bandaid over it so there are news of you know and right. you can see for farmer suicide the government will suddenly say that we'll stop disclosing uh, or delaying the data regarding how many farmers have committed suicide because it is politically sensitive instead thinking that why are farmers in such a distress what's the systemic reason for the distress we either say that we'll wipe or we'll uh, wave off the debt another symptom or we'll mask the suicide figures another symptom rather than dealing with the fundamental problem and this problem has has persisted despite this dramatic change in the face of indian agriculture from a bread bar from a you know like we were a um, what should i say we were a basket case in the 1960s and 70s struggling to feed ourselves to a bread basket where we are a major exporter today and the paradox is while we are exporting we are unable to feed our own people adequately that's quite a paradox in fact baron i want to stay actually with this whole policy and poor decision making uh, line of conversation you know what about demonetization how did demonetization affect farmers specifically um you know i mean much of agriculture economy is cash based that is the income and the expenditure are largely cash based 
what demonetization did was that it removed the cash which lubricated and kept that economy going and we can see that right through that that the immediate impact of demonetization was a collapse in prices right and it's not a coincidence that that the consumption in rural india the first significant evidence of decline in consumption in rural india came about after that it was already happening to an extent but it came about after that and and a lot of indian agricultural segments are yet to fully recover from the hit that they took from demonetization and then got hit again this year with covid and the lockdown and all so this is the- that's right what about gst i mean did that have some sort of impact to the way it was rolled out i mean indirectly because in a, in one sense again it was you know like it was a political uh, disploy or a decision that gst would not apply to agriculture but which also means that farmers pay gst for many of their inputs but right. don't receive any any credit which in a normal you know which in other sectors of the economy they do like if you are in a if you are right. in a manufacturing and trade and marketing uh, the produce you get you get you pay gst at one level and you get a uh a uh, uh, refund at another level because it's a chain i mean gst is precisely to prevent the the um, uh, accumulation of taxes and therefore aggregation of the taxes and gst in that sense was supposed to mitigate the aggregation that used to take place in the indian economy but in case of agriculture we said we said that the farmers uh, would not pay right but then uh, then the the chains do pay and farmers get no benefit and uh, so fertilizer right. <laughs> so uh, just just to simplify what you're saying is when farmers buy certain inputs they are paying gst but when they send the output they are not receiving any gst to offset the gst they are paying <laughs> this is you know this is what this is why because we are simply for some reason or the other despite agriculture and rural sector as population being so large in our case yet politically socially culturally we seem to be quite uh, comfortable dealing with this issue symbolically rather than substantially and this is you know this has been happening for last so many decades so it's a real tragedy yeah you know uh, all these problems that you've mentioned which are decades old and which are systemic i mean is that are there any why you know we earlier saw problems only when the monsoon failed but is the, are these the reasons why we now see problems in the agriculture persist year round even when the monsoons are fine yeah i mean today you know this is this is uh, really because 10 years ago i i first time i looked into this issue um because of the debate over climate change etc that uh, what's monsoon doing to india's agricultural production and it's not very much discussed and appreciated but if you look at the data it is very clear that that indian agriculture is almost insulated from weather now you know there could be drought in one part flood in another some production would be affected in some part some production would be affected in some other part for some other crop but as a country we are not seeing the volatility in production and more importantly in prices because i had seen that you know like for instance a typical impact of a, of a drought or a famine that we see first is in enormous hike in prices that used to be the norm earlier you know to be independent and even in the in the in the bengal famine of the 40 43 and then the last indian famine uh, major indian famine in india after independence which was in 65 66 partly in the eastern parts of india bihar etc 
price typically used to price of commodities, agricultural commodities would typically rise by 40-50%. Just because of that event, not because of the normal annual fluctuation. Those have gone. The, the production barely fluctuates even 2-3%. Because like I said, we are surplus in most crops, many crops. Uh, and prices at the retail end, at the consumer end, of course, uh, fluctuates hugely. But at the at the at the production side of it, the fluctuations have diminished enormously, and, uh, and uh, so it, we don't realize how insulated we have become from the vagaries of nature. Mm-hmm. Rather than building on this trend, we are actually weakening it by putting in this kind of um, symbolic right. uh, initiatives and steps rather than realizing the true potential of agriculture. Because we seem to not realize the potential of agriculture, neither the consumers nor the policy makers. So what are the solutions, Varun? How do we realize this true uh, potential of agriculture? If you were agriculture minister, what would you do? I think to me, I mean, I'd look at it in two parts. One is the bottlenecks that are there in agriculture as such. Like I said, agriculture is the most restrictive sector. And there has been, you know, we have all this talk about make in India. We forget agriculture is the truly original make in India. You know, we have all this talk of ease of doing business and how India is an investment friendly. We attract foreign direct investment, etc., etc. But we completely forget that we stopped um, capital formation in agriculture in various ways for decades now. There's very little investment taking place in agriculture because of the restrictions that exist. The, the biggest restriction, for instance, is in, in terms of the restriction that farmers experience on their land in terms of how much land they can use, that they can hold, how much land they can uh, farm, in what manner they can farm, etc. Et there's, there's no, in fact, a farmer from Kerala told me that if they have, if in their plantation they have to plant, they want to plant some other kind of plants, trees, they have to take permit. That is on their own land, with their own money, they're restricted in what kind of agriculture they they can they can do without the license permit, quota raj, uh, casting its shadow. So this is, something that the agriculture minister should or could focus on. But the bigger part of the problem is how we as society, that is the non-agricultural sector, seem to have accepted in our minds that agriculture is a poor cousin. We have to get rid of that idea. Because as long as we look at agriculture as a poor cousin, you know, like, just look at, uh, look at the popular discourse in urban India, that agriculture is highly subsidized. But study after study, reports have even last year, 2018, there was a report which said that on the net, Indian agriculture receives a negative subsidy of 14% in the last, uh, uh, in the in 15 years from 2000, from the year 2000 to 2015. That is, Indian agriculture, because of all these restrictions and, and controls, Indian farmers are actually being taxed rather than enjoying tax-free status, as most many in urban India would complain, that either agriculture is subsidized or agriculture is den of corruption because of tax-free status. People manipulate their income to show as agriculture income uh, in order to benefit from the tax-free status. But the real farmers in India are actually under a heavy regulatory taxation. And that study by Ashok Gulati and others uh, found that about 14% minus on average in 2000 and 2015 it's incredible so you know so that means we ourselves need to think and i think this, there is a there is a i think to me the key probably lies in realizing that agriculture 
the the problem that we have kept our agriculture in the regulatory chains and restrictions and regulations that have tied up agriculture is casting its shadow on india's non agricultural sector too so why is a drag on the larger economy is what you're saying huge drag on the larger economy one because of the productivity loss in agriculture but two this mindset of control that has persisted in agriculture persists in india's india's non agriculture sector to to a huge extent which is what was best shown you know just last year this year actually i mean last few year last five years that while india jumped enormously in terms of its rank in the in the world bank ease of doing business from about 130 odd to around 60 odd last year which an enormous a record jump in the history of the world bank this record this uh, ease of doing business which started right. about 20 years ago so india should be uh, should be uh, you know should be seen as a as an exemplar in improving its economic environment but it is exactly the same five years that right. the indian economy has been on a downward slide what a paradox that this mindset that has affected agriculture is casting its shadow in the non agriculture sector which we are not appreciating it's almost as if uh, agriculture doesn't require ease of doing business because not considered in the same way just like you said earlier there's a mindset uh, of it being a poor cousin so in this context varun uh, i want to miss my final question actually you've authored the farmers manifesto for freedom uh, tell us about it why did you write it and what was the objective i mean it was two parts it was you know i mean i was trying to one part was i was since i've been working with uh, some of the grassroots farmers organization and talking to them we want and particularly more, many of us including myself we were inspired by Sharad Joshi, the farmer leader from Maharashtra, who passed away in 2015, but he was a pioneer because he was perhaps the first Indian farmers leader, a truly farmers leader. At one time, his organization was perhaps the largest farmers organization in India, uh, who spoke about liberalizing agriculture in the 1980s. You know, he was the first one who realized that the problem of agriculture is not that it is being subsidized and protected. but that it is being tied up and he wanted to remove those shackles because he was the only farmers leader who realized that agriculture in india has a huge potential which has been completely stymied because of the regulations you know most of the farmers movement across the country particularly the the more popular voices of farmers movement generally look at what kind of protection and what kind of subsidies the government can provide to the farmers Charles Joshi spoke of how to liberalize agriculture and getting the government out of farming, so that the farmers can function as truly free economic agents, just like in any other sector. And therefore, my first instinct was: how do we draft a new morning manifesto for contemporary India, reflecting the farmers' view? But as we were drafting it, and there were quite a few others along with me, it is not like I didn't author it as a writer. that how do we approach non farmers you know the people who are not connected to agriculture how to may how do we explain to them the value of agriculture so that there is a social consensus that agriculture needs to be reformed and liberalized you know i mean the whole drawing room discussion in urban india is agriculture is either subsidized or it is poor but we need to to how do we break out of that mindset so the attempt was that how do we identify the key bottlenecks that are in agriculture uh, from like i said from seed to technology 
to land to market to uh, to the infrastructure that are necessary for the trade routes to function that all of it in is in is in poor state and therefore the potential of agriculture is not being realized and that it is casting a shadow on non agriculture or the urban india and sharad joshi put it very well actually he used to say the that uh, uh, rural bharat and that is without the prosperity of bharat in rural india the aspiration of urban india cannot really be achieved or realized that that's a great point uh, barun to sign off on without the prosperity of rural india the aspirations of urban india cannot be achieved barun thanks so much for being part of the show thank you for shedding light on something that's so important to our daily lives but isn't really talked about as much as it should be at least in urban areas particularly in the context in which i think it ought to be yes thank you so much ashadav it was really nice talking to you on this thank you very much for having me on your show thank you varun and thank you all for listening please visit www.allindiansmatter.in for more columns videos and audio podcasts you can follow me on twitter at ashraf engineer that's a s h r a f e n g i n w e r and all indians count that's a w l i n d i a n s c o u n t look for the all indians matter page on facebook on instagram the handle is all indians matter catch you again soon Studios.